0: Hey, everyone. It's Rebecca. I want to chat with you about my book, which comes out June 15th, entitled Fearless, The New Rules for Unlocking Creativity, Courage and Success. I wrote this book for you, my listeners who might be considering different paths, trying to find ways to innovate in general, seeking a road that maybe hasn't been traveled. So over the last 15 years, I've learned so much. I have failed so much. The one thing that I've consistently done is when I was scared, I did it anyway. So I want to encourage you to buy the book. Please pre-order it. It actually truly helps an author when you pre-order, especially right now with so many stores not ordering inventory and uh, needing pre-orders to ensure the sales. So you can go to Amazon, look for Fearless, Rebecca Minkoff. You can go to Books A Million, which has an incredible list of independent bookstores. Buy the book. And the good news is, is if you buy the book and email me, fearless at Rebecca Minkoff.com with your receipt, you get the cost of the book as a credit applied to whatever you buy on my site. So it's a win-win. Buy the book. It's called Fearless unlocking the new rules for creativity, courage, and success. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Superwomen. Today's guest is Victoria Mars. And if you've ever heard of chocolate, you've definitely heard of Mars. Victoria has built a career based on creating trusting relationships that yield mutual impactful results. Her experience spans operations to governance. Over her more than four decades at Mars Incorporated, she has served on the Mars board for over 15 years, including serving as chair from 2014 to 2017. Victoria, I'm so happy to chat with you today because it's not often that you get an inbound email with someone's name that's a legacy product, one that I still eat to this day. So welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. I'm delighted to be here.
0: So tell me a little bit about what it was like growing up within the framework of your family and what led you to continue to participate in uh, the business.
1: Well, actually, that's an interesting question um, because you know, as a child, I had no concept of what family I belonged to or um, even what my father was doing. As far as I knew, he ran a chocolate factory. Um, so my parents were quite low key about keeping it separate and and not kind of forcing anything on us or making sure that we didn't feel we were any more important than anybody else, uh, which really carries all the way through our our business too. So I really you know had never even thought of joining the business um, until I did some summer jobs in college and worked on the packing lines in the in the factories. Um, my father again big believer that you start where a lot of people work and where you, want, you need to understand what it's like to work in a factory. Um, you don't just start at the top. So I did some summer jobs and enjoyed that and had a good time packing candy with a lot of other college kids. And then when I got to school, I was still, I was actually quite intent on becoming a doctor. And somewhere in there, uh, I got quite frustrated with the whole medical school pressure and how people were competing against each other. And it wasn't fun. And I was like, no, I don't want to do this. And so I just kind of kind of ended up in the business, not quite sure uh, what I would be doing, and moved back to Europe because I'd grown up in Europe and moved back to France and started my career there.
0: as far as when you started your career there, where did you land once you decided that that was what you wanted to do?
1: <laughs> you make it sound like it was you know an, a kind of a, a straight line forward with a lot of planning. Uh, <laughs> At that point in time, if you know anything about family businesses, family businesses, you don't necessarily have a structured way of going from this step to that and progression, career progression. It was more kind of, oh, there's a job here. We think we should put Victoria into this. And I kind of worked in brand management. I worked in um, export management, managing the products coming out of our factory. I then went back to the US. I went back to get my um, business degree at Wharton in finance, not because I loved finance, but because I knew it's a basic, I needed to know. So it was a tick in the box. Good. I know finance. Now let me get back to things that I'm really excited about. And I ended up in Chicago working for Dove International, which is the ice cream at that point that we purchased and kind of was in, in commercial, which is buying uh, finance and p and personnel. And it's that there is where I kind of found that I really had a passion for people. And what I really loved was the personnel side. At that point in time, I had uh, two children and was about to have my third child. And at that point in time is when I kind of, I hit a barrier where like, I can't do this. I cannot have a great career. I'm not doing well being a good mother. I'm not doing great in my career. It's just very difficult. And that's when I, I stepped out of the business for about five years um, and then, but missed it. I really missed working with people. I missed our business because I'm quite proud of what it achieves and what it does. And I kind of finagled my way back into the business. So we're now in the 90s um, when, you know, working mothers, working women uh, was not really part of the norm and certainly taking a five-year break was not part of the norm. And my father and my uncle, as I was trying to say, hey, I really like to come back to work. I'm not sure I want to work full time. I'm not really very mobile at that point in time. And my father and my uncle came up with this idea of an ombudsman program. So an ombudsman is an alternative channel of communication um, that companies, universities, they exist in government. They, they exist in many different places. The concept is that you have a place where your associates, your people, can come raise any issue work-related. And they raise it with an ombudsman who is a confidential, neutral, independent, and informal process. And they assigned me that job. And I built our ombudsman program at Mars Incorporated, which I'm quite proud to say is a role model ombudsman program that other people look up to. And it was my combination of my passion for people and wanting to make us one of the best places to work where people could feel that if they had an issue, it was an easy, there's a place to raise it and somebody there to help you resolve that issue. So that's kind of what got, that was, that was where I found my passion for people.
0: I love that you turned a situation you know, obviously, with the support of your father, of a difficult choice that I feel like so many working mothers face, into something so positive that then had the ability to affect future Mars Associates' lives. So, when you when you started that program, did you know right away? Okay, I'm onto something. This is something that I'm able to handle or manage. Or did you go through? I still call it, you know, a roller coaster of it's crazy with kids. It's always crazy with work. I love what I'm doing. I don't want to quit, but it's also so much to manage. And so many moms, working moms complain of this, but talk to me about when you, when you got started in guiding and building that program, did it change your mindset of, okay, this is, you know, something I can do. And you began to find that passion again.
1: Yes. I think it's a combination of two things. So yes, I was finding my passion. I found something where I thought I could make a difference, and I found some place where I could be proud of what I was accomplishing. Um, One of the difficult things of being in a family business is that you always question, am I getting promoted or do I have this opportunity because of who I am or because of my capabilities? So this was one of the first places where I began to feel like, yes, I am very capable here and I can succeed. That helped with my motivation and my passion. And One of the things I think that's so important for women, and, and the earlier you can find it, the better, is where is your passion? What is going to get you out of bed? What's going to help you overcome the challenges that you're going to face? Because it's not easy being, as you know, a working mom and a career and a child of your own parents and And all these things that come at you, one of the things I think is so important is it's not going to be easy. It's not a straight line. It's not just like, oh, anybody can do this and it doesn't take effort. But you can be encouraged because you can succeed. You can succeed, but there are going to be challenges. And two things that really worked for me at that point in time well, first of all, I was coming back part-time and I remember, at that point, it was part-time and I remember somebody saying to me, well, that's great you're coming back, but, you know, uh, part-time people aren't committed. I'm like, excuse me? I'm committed. Well, because you're not here all the time. And that just kind of drove me to say, wait a minute, yes, we are committed. We just have different choices that we're trying to make and we're trying to manage everything. And the real key to me of, of my success, I think, is when the doors opened or when I was able to feel confident that I could manage this, is when I pushed for and was given flexibility. So up until that point, I would have said that our organization was quite rigid. You know, you worked eight to five, nine to five, whatever it was, Uh, you had to be in the office and you were dealing with the stresses of, wait a minute, my child has a 10 a.m. performance how am I gonna get to the 10 a.m. performance if I have to be at work at eight? It'd be much more efficient if I, you know, if I could just work for the first two hours from home and then go to work rather than go to work, leave work, go all the way back to school, see my child. You know, so when I was given that, that flexibility, push for flexibility so that I could manage the different pressures I was having, that was kind of like a relief. That was kind of like being able to say, okay, I can handle this because I can get to that performance. I can still get my job done. It doesn't have to be just between nine to five. And as long as I'm achieving what I'm meant to achieve and who and, and my objectives, then it doesn't really matter so much when I'm actually doing it as long as I get it done. So the, the power of the flexibility, I think, is absolutely key. And one of the things you know, we as an organization are working really hard on as we come out of you know the, the, the whole COVID thing where flexibility has been forced on everybody, um, is to say, okay, so how do we continue to make it so that we are one of the best places to work for women, working mothers, women that are taking care of their parents, whatever it is in your life that is causing you to have to juggle all these things at the same time. So that was really finding my passion. I think it's absolutely key to, to help you overcome those obstacles having obviously an organization that's helping you and supportive of it and willing to learn willing to go with it as they experiment because that didn't exist in in those days Um, and finding a job where you can have the flexibility um, that you need and then i think understanding that it's not going to be a straight line It's, it's not easy
0: i'm glad you say it's not easy because i think that somewhere along the line we've been marketed to that it is easy and then we're always shocked to be like what it's, it's this is gonna require hard work and it's never gonna stop. So I'm happy to hear you say that as a woman who's been working in business for many decades, that it that the challenges are there and they don't go away. But that's also what makes the rewards feel so much like they're worth going through. Absolutely. You are really known for building collaborative relationships based on listening, trust, and authenticity. You've leveraged that in your career. I think as someone who's an executive, it's not always easy to build trust with teams. It can be difficult sometimes listening. So how have you made that one of your hallmarks? And then how has that transformed your teams or the parts of the company that have adopted those same values?
1: I think we start with my ombudsman training. So an ombudsman, I mean, beyond my personality, so my caring for, so let's go back to You know, my passion was, I wanted to be a doctor. Didn't quite go that direction. I ended up as an ombudsman and an ombudsman really is about helping people. An ombudsman is trained to listen. An ombudsman is trained to be neutral, not to advocate for a person, not to advocate for the organization, to advocate for fair process. So I think all of those skills and wanting to help, People succeed to help an organization have an approach of we versus I. To be successful, we all need to be aligned and supportive of each other. Uh, if I'm in a if I'm sitting in a board seat and I'm on the board, it's very clear that my governance role as a board is to question and to dig deep and to make sure that the organization is doing the right things. But without a, a management team that Feel supported and aligned, and feels that you actually value what they're doing, you're not going to end up with a win win situation. So, for me, it's very much about creating the right environment for everybody to succeed. It's the same thing when we talk about, you know, how are we going to get our company to the point so that all women can be successful? You know, I feel I was successful. We have many. Uh, women that are successful. We need more women to be successful in our business. We need to get more women up through the ranks. And I think we start with a very strong foundation with our principles. So as a company, we have five principles that have come from the family, have been there forever. So it's not created just corporate speak. It's very much, this is what we live by. All of our behaviors are, are measured against those principles across the organization. And so building on that, you know, now taking, just looking at women and how can we have all women be successful, have more women driven up through the top. You know, that's where we've launched a very focused effort, um, with our whole full potential program that is talking about how can we help women achieve their goals, uh, with our whole here to be heard campaign. What is it going to take to, have women succeed? What's not working in our systems? Um, I grew up in a system that wasn't particularly friendly to women. You know, I came with the generation before me was very much about act like a man, be like a man. That's how you're going to be successful. I'm the next generation that was more about uh, you don't have to act like a man, but you've got to figure it out yourself. How are you going to work around the systems that aren't set up for women? you know, how we behave, which is different from how men behave, what we need in terms of flexibility, the policies that we need to have to make it easier for women to be successful as we juggle all the, all of these demands. So it was very much, it's very much about driving system change now.
0: We're at a time when more women have fled the workplace. Then in the last 30 years, more women have been laid off than men in a long time. So what are some of the changes you've seen or uh, helped accomplish within your company that you think other people can learn from in order to give women the time and space that they need just being different, different experiences than, than a man's experience as a parent, as a caregiver, as a, you know, all the different things that we are. I think we've always come back to it. It's, it's not easy. And yes, women in general face more of
1: the life responsibilities that come with it. So I think organizations need to figure out, and this is why we have this, you know, here to be heard, what, what you know, I can tell you what I think the issues are, but they're not the same for everybody. So what in the systems are not working? So I think the first trick out there is get your facts right. What is not working in an organization? What are the barriers that women are facing and are struggling to overcome or discourages them from coming back or staying in the workplace? What are they? Once we know what they are, then we can go and try and tackle and actually change them. And I think that's that's very much, we assume we think we know what what needs to happen, but you're not 100% sure. So I come back to that, just basic of flexibility, you know, the flexibility is, I think, so important for many women to be able to be successful. And then the the second piece to me, which is also really important is you're making choices at different time life stages. We all have different life stages and you'll have to make different choices at those during those life stages. And when you make those, that's not failure, it's just a choice. You know, choices are not failure. Choosing to step out of the workplace for a while is not failure. That's just making that choice for that life stage for you. Now, what we need to do better as an organization, we need to, and I'm sure other organizations do too. Should I make that choice, which I did, to step out of the workplace for a while? And then I say, okay, I'm, I would like to come back. Now, how do we facilitate that? How do we keep women connected if they want to stay connected to the organization while they're away? How do we keep developing them? How do we make them feel a little bit more current so when they come back, it's not total from, I've been away for five years and I have no clue what happened in between, to there was a string. There was a string attached that kind of said, hey, we still value you. We appreciate the choices you're having to make. Let us know when you're ready to come back. And we will find a way to, to help you slide back into the organization with the right skills. You may have to learn some other skills. You, you know, you may have to kind of go back a step or two to go forward again because you have you have been out. But that's okay. That doesn't mean you failed. It just means you made that choice for that period of time. And I think for me, that's what helped me succeed. Because by the time I came back, I was ready to come back. I wanted to be back in the working environment. And I had figured out for me, and every person is different, what the right balance was between my children and work and all the other things in life and finding that right balance of what works for you. And as I often say to, to young women, my, my choice, my balance, my equilibrium is gonna be different than your equilibrium. There's, there's not a right or wrong answer. But it's what works for you. And I think once you, you find that, then you can excel. And, and when I got, to, you know, when I got to the point where my children weren't home anymore, and they were either away at, at, at school or they'd actually moved out, I all of a sudden had this freedom to say, yeah, I can now commit a lot of time to my career. Now is my time to commit a lot to my career. But it was okay that it was not my priority during those other years. So if organizations can understand those life stages, I think that's really helpful. Understanding that, you know, when I'm young, you know, my, I think I can have it all. You know, I, you come out of school thinking, I can have a career, I can have a family, I can be married, I can, you name it, I can do it all, it's going to be easy. <laughs> it's not. And then you go, wait a minute, this is not what I expected. And then as you make those choices, you want to feel supported and valued. You want to feel those choices are okay. It's not wrong. The business still understand, and they understand that those choices are going to happen.
0: And everybody can be remote and there's probably a happy middle, but I think it's opened the gate to everything you're saying that we're still here, we're still in business and everyone's you know, arranging their schedule around their whole life. So I hope that continues when the pandemic is no longer haunting us. So one last question before I let you go, and I feel like I could talk to you for so much longer, the way you talk and the way you talk about your values for your company makes it sound like you're still a mom and pop, family owned brand when you know you have revenues of 40 billion plus. So what has been the secret to maintaining that small business mindset, even though you are a huge multi national corporation with tons and tons of employees and offices. How do you maintain that connectivity and that small mindedness that's a good thing your with your approach?
1: Uh, I think there's so many pieces of it. I think having a family business, it's somehow ingrained into us over the years. I said it wasn't, you know, it wasn't at the dinner table. We weren't it wasn't talked about, but somewhere subtly ingrained into us that a family business is something you want to be proud of. And what gives you a sense of pride is how you do business, not how big you are, not how many multimillion dollars you have. It's more about how do you do it? How do you treat your people? How do you look at the people that are working for you? Uh, we call them associates versus employees because this concept associate, you know, indicates that that we value you, we respect you, regardless of where you are in the system, whether you're the president or whether you're an associate in the sales force or whether you're an associate working on, on the factory floor, we value you. You know, we have an egalitarian type spirit that says, your voice counts as much as somebody else's voice. So this kind of approach to what is going to make me proud of this organization if somebody's talking about mars i want them to talk about how we're a great place to work i want them to talk about how we treat our people and what we're doing in the world of sustainability Um, and that pride is what is the is what keeps the generation after generation connected you have to connect the families through their hearts they have to feel a sense of a connection. And for us, I really think it starts with our principles and values. In fact, that these five principles have been with us um, and were not created for us. They're actually the family's values. And you can find it back in my grandfather talking about mutuality and the importance of win-win scenarios. And and it's creating a, a sense of we all win together uh, has been part of our culture, Culture has been our values. That, that's, that's what we grew up with. And we continue to drive that because that's how we're also going to keep the next generations connected, even if you're not working in the business. Um, and obviously the bigger you get, you have fewer percentage of, of family members in that sense working in the business. But you want them to have a sense of pride. You want them to have a sense of, I am proud of what we can do with this business, the difference we can make in the, in the world. And I think that's what drives that connection. But as I said, it starts with principles and values. So important because that's what creates that trust. You know, you have to earn that trust and the trust comes from living those principles.
0: Yeah. I love it. Very rare to see, but so lucky to to have. I wish that I had time to read your entire bio. So I'm going to put it in the show notes, but where can people support your work?
1: I think the most important thing right now with uh, Here to be heard, our campaign for Here to Be Heard, which is a you know a public campaign for women or anybody to write in and say, hey, this this is what needs to to change, I think is absolutely critical to help women succeed. So that's in, in the whole the whole gender area. I think where where the support is, you know, recognizing and supporting some of the, the good stuff that we as an organization are trying to To kind of move the needle um as i say whether it's on the sustainability part whether it's to do with our veterinarians and creating better working environments for all of our veterinarian clinics uh, which is hard work as you can imagine uh, for being a veterinarian a whole different role to understand but not easy uh, for people to do Um, so i think it's really to me it's building our reputation as a positive organization I think that is where we need the support because I, we know that the more somebody knows about Mars and understands that we're doing our best, the more people like us. And the more people like us, that means we then get the best people working for us. And getting the best people working for us helps us succeed. And then we can do more of the good things we're trying to do as, as a business. Because, you know, our business is our vehicle, you know, to be able to Improve the communities we work in, improve the supply chain of where we get our raw materials, improve the environment that we, the earth that we live on. So it's through this business that we're able to influence change.
0: Thank you. I can't wait to see all the all the results of your campaign. And thanks for everything you do. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. Thanks for listening, everybody. And don't forget to head over to RebeccaMinkoff.com. Show your love and support for the brand. Buy something for yourself. Buy something for another. And also don't forget to try my new fragrance. Again, it is available at all Nordstrom, Nacy's, Scentbirds, and Birchboxes as well as our site.